find, be finding, if you will, Malachi 3. Mark that. Malachi 3, put your ribbon there. We're going to be looking at basically two different portions, sections of Scripture. Again, we're dealing with Christian giving this morning. With the missions conference still fresh upon our hearts and minds, I want to say thank you to those of you who are here, those of you who prayed, those of you who will give today in the offering and then also throughout this year between now and the second Sunday of October next year. The Lord willing, we're going to try to set that in concrete the second Sunday, second Sunday of October of each year. We will try to have our missions conference and where we used to have it Wednesday through Sunday morning. We're going to move it. I think it was better suited for our church Sunday morning through Wednesday night as we had it this year. There were reasons why we moved it to where we've moved it, and I think that's going to suit us better. And uh, so thank you. And then Lindsay, I know Warren took Nelson out for the fall festival last night. Thank you. Y'all are wonderful hosts. I got ready to leave last night. Amanda and I got ready to go back to the low country. And Warren and Lindsay were coming out of their front door. And I asked, I said, what can we do to take something off of y'all? And Lindsay said, nothing, really nothing. And tables were still set up. Chairs were set up. There was stuff everywhere. And I said, no, what can we do? And she still didn't want us doing anything. They would have stayed up and done it by themselves, she and Warren. So we got to grabbing. Some of us got to grabbing tables, chairs, and various items and got it done quickly. And I think if Jonathan and Hayden would have worked a little harder, I wouldn't have had to work as hard as I did. But we got it done quickly, didn't we? Got it done in a matter of minutes, and we can always do that when we have something going on. Misty mentioned the upcoming wedding for Austin and McKinley. Austin, you can run while you still got a chance. That's next Friday up in uh, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, Gatlinburg area. It's actually in Pigeon Forge, isn't it? And so at 3 o'clock. And so she wanted me to mention the wedding, and uh, you all are invited. But now we don't, now the Jenkins stay up there, and the Andersons stay up there. Now that's understood, but the rest of you get yourself back down here and get to church next Sunday. But um, I'll be out all week, and so after the wedding, I'm going to make my way back to Pontotoc, and uh, we'll leave Saturday. Please pray for us. I look forward to being with church we've been with now for a handful of times with our dear brother and friend trust you've got uh, trust you've got uh, your place marked in malachi 3 now find second corinthians chapters 8 and 9 we're going to move in just a few minutes over to malachi 3 but we're going to begin with going to begin with our reading and our scripture reading this morning before the message will be uh, five verses out of chapter 8 of second corinthians Three verses out of chapter 9. You find chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse number 1. Would you stand with us, please? We're interested this morning in Christian giving. Christian giving. I love this book of 2 Corinthians for many reasons. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Isn't that something? Had nothing to give, but they found something to give. Verse number three. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty 
that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, they have given and partnered now with Paul in the ministering to the saints. Verse number 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Moving over to chapter 9, and we'll look at a few more verses, the Lord willing, out of these chapters other than just the ones we're reading this morning. Second Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Christian giving. Thank you for standing. If you know anything about 2 Corinthians, and if you've heard me refer to the book of 2 Corinthians these years, um, I'm convinced that the book of 2 Corinthians compares to the book of Job because of the suffering of Job and the suffering of Paul. No one in the New Testament suffered any more than Paul did as far as what we have recorded in the New Testament outside the Lord Jesus Christ than did the Apostle Paul. Both of those books are biographical. When you come to chapter number 7, the minds of the people at Corinth had been poisoned by some bitter people. The church at Corinth, they had actually turned on him. He was instrumental in winning them to the Lord, preaching the gospel. He appeals to them as a father whose own children will not uh, give him a hearing. In other words, they'd forgotten who he was. and listened to people who had a different angle on him and resented him. And so Paul makes an appeal over and again. He catalogs his sufferings in chapter 4, chapter 6, and again in chapter number um, 11. When you come to chapter number 7, Titus has finally got back up with Paul. Paul sent Titus to Corinth, and now they finally have met up with each other. They missed their original meeting place, and it grieved Paul. Paul thought maybe Titus, maybe they got to him. Maybe he too feels that way about me. But they eventually do meet up, and Titus brings a good report and says, Now, Paul, I want you to know they've received your writing, and they're sorry it's all happened. And Paul, they're good. Paul was good as long as they were good, ultimately anyways. And so when you come to chapter 7, that is recorded. Then when you come to 8 and 9, Paul devotes two whole chapters in the New Testament to Christian giving. And, and then when you get beyond chapter number 9, of course, the whole mood of the book changes. He goes after those that had stirred up strife and con, uh, contention in the church against him. And, I mean, he goes after them. And then he closes with one of, the, one of my most favorite benedictions of all the Bible. The last verse of chapter 13 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Every day of my life, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost would be, a, be my lot in life and your lot in life as a member of this church. But... Um, he relates, if you'll study the two chapters on Christian giving, he relates the two chapters of giving, Christian giving, to our Christian health. In other words, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we want to be like him, and the more we're willing to make sacrifice to give 
to meet the needs of getting the gospel out. Sometimes we give to meet needs regarding benevolence. As a matter of fact, this offering that Paul has taken, in case we don't get there, Titus helped him in it. And there's an unnamed brother that was chosen of the churches to go right alongside and work alongside Titus and Paul. Um, They do that. They receive the offering for the poor saints at Jerusalem. At one time, there was only one church in Jerusalem. And people migrated there. The apostles were there. The preaching of the gospel was there. There was a famine that was there. And there was a drought that was there as well in the birth of the church in Acts chapter number 2. And as people poured in, some 3,000 were saved on Pentecost. Some 5,000, just a couple of days later, 8,000. Then there were other people that were there. They went there for Pentecost. They hear the preaching of Simon Peter and the others. Some 8,000 now were saved, and they just stayed. They stayed in Jerusalem. And so there's great need there. As a matter of fact, the first deacons that were ordained, we believe them to be deacons, in Acts chapter number 6, were ordained out of this particular need. Um, there were some of the widows being neglected in the daily ministration. And so there were seven men. The body of believers were instructed, uh, pray about it. Seek ye out seven men of honest report and wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost, and we may set over this business. It was all because of the multitudes that now are in Jerusalem. And so the offering that's actually being talked about, spoken about in chapters 8 and 9, is the offering being taken up that was going to be distributed among the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. J. Oswald Sanders took these principles years ago and implemented, as we mentioned in announcements today, implemented faith, promise, missions, giving, and I am in favor of it. Chapter number 8, verse number 1. Notice how Paul writes here. Notice how Paul writes. In chapter number 8, verse number 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God uh, bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. We do you to wit. In other words, we want to make known to you. We do you to wit. We want to declare. In other words, we want to recognize the churches of Macedonia. And we, want, we want you to understand their giving and their part that they played in this offering that is being taken. He's saying, I want to use the Macedonian churches. I want to use them as an example. He says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. In other words, we want to recognize. We want you to understand. We want you to know about the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God. Uh, some preach about the grace of giving. There are books that are written. Stephen Olford has a wonderful book left behind on the grace of giving. And a lot of it is based out of these two chapters. The word grace comes from the word charis. And, of course, it speaks of that which is unearned, something you can't pay back. Something that's been bestowed upon you that you did not earn. You didn't deserve, nor did you merit. It, it speaks of the grace of God. The grace of God in giving is, is intric- intricately uh, tied together in chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians. Now, before we get to it, uh, before the, we get to the tithe, and I mentioned to you in the missions conference, I want to I speak to you about storehouse tithing. I want to talk to you about an offering. Then I want to talk to you about what is mentioned about this offering here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Let me remind us that there is a gift of giving. And not everybody has that gift. As a matter of fact, there are at least some 19, perhaps more gifts of the Holy Spirit, but at least some 19. Some say there are 18. When Peter wrote of the gift of hospitality and using it, I believe that's a gift some people have. Not everybody has that. I think there's a lady sitting to my right 
uh, on your left, that side of the church, I think she has it. Whether she knows it or not, I believe she has it. It's just as natural for her to serve other people, to prepare meals for other people, to get involved, to just quietly serve. I believe she has. I believe we've got some other ladies in our church with that gift as well. It is a gift. Whenever you were saved, you were given at least one gift. You're looking at a preacher who believes you were given multiple gifts, different measures of ability whenever you were saved. You have a gift. We are many members uh, in the body, in all the body of Christ, but we have a local assembly. And God has given us all the gifting right here in this local assembly to carry on the work of Christ. He's done that with every local church. If there's a work that just cannot be completed, perhaps that church doesn't need to take that on. Because God has given to this body and every local assembly the gifting that it needs to carry out its ministry. Listen to some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit out of Romans 12. Watch this. The Bible says, or uh, let me back up to verse six, uh, Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. Verse 8 will include the gift of giving. Romans 12, beginning in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, which is serving, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth, uh, that's the one that uh, has the ability to impart truth, to teach it, to make it understandable. Uh, our preaching will challenge. Teaching, I'm doing a little bit of that this morning. Our teaching will help to ground us in the faith. Uh, our root system, if you will, uh, in our lives, it will help to deepen that and, and cause us to be better equipped to serve the Lord. And then the Bible says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. I know some people that have that gift, don't you? You just get in their presence, and I mean, they're encouraging. They'll help you. They're never going to drag you down. They're always lifting someone up. They're always interested in doing so. And here it comes. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Let him do it with simplicity. In other words, you don't wave the flag. Someone who gives and waves the flag or draws attention to their gift and their giving is someone who probably does not have the gift of giving. Someone with the gift of giving does not draw attention to themselves. They'll give it and they'll give it silently. They'll give it quietly. They'll give it and they want Christ to increase and they will decrease. They'll disappear somewhere. Now, that's in Romans 12 in verse number 8. And it goes on and mentions the gift of administration or the gift of ruling. And there's some men that I know that are well gifted in that area. But this business of having the gift of giving. Um, I've told you about Wayne Robinson over the years. And I've used him as an illustration in, uh, out in revival meetings in churches. Uh, Wayne Robinson, uh, he was in the church at Thrasher years ago. He owned two stores and was successful. I used to pastor a young man when he was still in high school. His daddy was successful. And he sat down with me, and he said, Brother Kevin, he said, I, I'm praying. I, I want to be a businessman like my dad. I want to go to college, and I want to be successful. Is anything wrong with that? Is that selfish? I said, no, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's not selfish. I said, think about it. You'll be able to earn a good living and provide for your home when God gives you a wife and children. You'll be able to provide for your household. You'll be able to save some. You'll be able to give some. And he said, Brother Kevin, that's exactly what I want to do. He said, I want to give some. I want to save some. I want to leave something for my posterity. A young man's name is Andrew. And I said, Andrew, I hope you are a success in everything you put your hands to in life. And we prayed together and prayed together a number of times while I was his pastor. But when I was at Thrasher, Wayne Robinson, Wayne and Jane, Wayne owned two businesses, a grocery store and then 
Uh, he would buy pallets of returns from J.C. Penney or wherever. I mean, he'd get anything. He'd get things from Lowe's and Home Depot, or he'd get things from clothing stores that were returns, and I guess the stores maybe didn't want to fool with him. I mean, he'd get things for a little bit of nothing and sell them. Wouldn't make a great profit, but, I mean, he was constantly bringing profit in. First time Amanda and I went to his grocery store, we went to support his business. We wanted to support local business. We believe in that. We've always believed in that. We got to the counter, and Lynette, she said that there's no charge. She just began sacking it up said there's no charge. And I said, we're not doing that. And she said, you just hold on a minute. I said, we're not doing that. Wayne come out of the back, and Jane come out of the back. And I said, Brother Wayne, we didn't come here with our hands stuck out. And as a matter of fact, I told him I despise any preacher. And any church that goes to town looking to buy something with their hands stuck out. And I said, we've got too many of that, too many people like that, got too many preachers. I didn't come with my hands stuck out. I didn't come asking for anything. I came as a paying customer. And he said, Brother Kevin, he said, just so you know, God's been real good to Jane and me, and we have no children. And he said, I'm able to give to our church, and I'm happy to do so. And he said, the way we look at it is God's been good to us. He said, we built our businesses over the years. God's been good to us. Now, all we're trying to do is pass some of that along. You know, in the summertime, we'd have our three nephews, my oldest sister's sons. They'd come spend the week for vacation Bible school, and they'd spend another week or two. Wayne would come up in his old suburban. He didn't have to drive the newest in, in town, and that's just Wayne. I mean, if you run up on him, you'd never know he was worth what he was worth at the bank. But Wayne, he would pull up in that old Suburban. It's one of those Suburbans with, not with a lift gate, but that old door, that old swinging door. And we'd hear him when he pulled up with, that thing was a little loud. He'd pull up and he'd go to throwing in the front yard of the Pastorians. He'd throw bats and balls and footballs. I mean, he'd just throw a pile of it out. And uh, our nephews and our daughters and our son would always look forward to that because he knew those kids were going to be there with us for a number of weeks. And he wanted to just give. Did you know that some people are gifted like that? God's gifted them with the ability to manage and to be able to give. And they want to give. And they don't give so that they draw attention unto themselves. I heard about, uh, as a matter of fact, I've seen it a time or two in a giving service some of us are familiar with. Where fellows, I mean, they wouldn't give until they could get to the microphone. There's one uh, giving service in a church. And it was at night in a meeting. And the next night, a man came, gave a sizable offering. And the pastor said, well, now, thank you for the size of the offering. He said, well, I wanted to give it last night, but I couldn't get to the microphone. The gift of giving doesn't need a microphone. As a matter of fact, the gift of giving don't want a microphone. The gift of giving expects nothing. I am fulfilled. I'm more in a lower year this morning, but I'm just as fulfilled in what I'm doing. I'm just as at home and what I'm doing. I'm not afraid to work in a furniture factory, to drive a tractor. I've done some of that through the years. I've thrown newspapers in the middle of the night. I've sacked groceries. I'm not afraid to do any of that. doesn't hurt me. It won't hurt you. In order to help make ends meet, I've cleaned up job sites on construction areas when uh, in years gone by. I'm not afraid to do any of that. You provide a salary so that I can do all that I do, and I appreciate that. I'm fulfilled in doing what I'm doing here today. Those with the gift of giving, we all give to some measure, but those with the gift of giving are just as fulfilled when they give to help make it meet a need in the church, through the church, or in somebody's life. Matter of fact, we have some people in this church who I believe have the gift of giving. You held your place in, in Malachi chapter number 3. Go back over there, if you will. Malachi chapter number 3. This Old Testament prophet, very familiar verses. I'll say some things about storehouse tithing. The tithe and the offering are two 
separate, uh, two separate things, right? And I want to mention some things the tithe is not. And I want to mention some things that the tithe is. The tithe is to be brought into the storehouse as we read these verses. The storehouse was a receptacle or it was a room in the temple where the tithes and the offerings were brought and they were stored. And they were kept there until there was a need. And from that storehouse, that receptacle, that room in the temple, those monies or those properties were brought out and were used uh, to meet the needs of the ministry of the temple. And so that principle is brought over into the New Testament. You say, preacher, well, now that was under the law. No, friend, that was before the law. Uh, that was under the law, and that has been since the law, the principle of the tithe. As a matter of fact, in the book of Luke and also in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, even Christ himself gave validity to the tithe. He mentioned to the Pharisees about their tithing. And he said, you do always give your tithe of mint and anise and the various things. said it again in the book of Luke. Uh, the, uh, the, the Pharisee that prayed that Jesus rebuked his praying. You remember in Luke 18. You remember what that Pharisee said. He said, I do always tithe of all that I possess. The book of Hebrews talks about the tithe. So before the law, during, uh, under the law, and then beyond the law, we see the practice of the tithe. And we believe in storehouse tithing. Read the verses with me. Matthew 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, God says. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? He says, in tithes and offerings. Then he says, you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I want to tell you something before we go any farther. Verse 10. Did you know that God puts himself out there in verse 10? And he says, put me to the test. You put me to the test. You practice storehouse tithing. You put me to the test. He's talking to his chosen race of people, the, the Jews, the Israelites. By the way, I hope you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem in these days and all that's going on. It seems like everyone, even leaders in our country, want to turn their backs on the nation Israel. Don't you turn your back on the nation Israel. Don't make fun of them racially. They're still God's chosen race of people. They gave us the Son of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ. They gave us the word of God. They've made great contribution to society worldwide. God's not finished with the Jews. They'll be chased out into the wilderness one day, be saved in a day. As a matter of fact, the very place most of us believe where they will be chased to, Harold Wilmington and other Bible scholars through the years have bought thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Bibles in the Jewish tongue and have hidden them in caves in the very place where we believe they will be chased by the Antichrist and uh, chased by a by others one of these days but the tithe he said put me to the test you say preacher what that really means is what that really means is he says put me to the test he says prove me now prove me now here with and i want to say something god is no man's no man's debtor and i'm going to say this again here in just a moment probably i hear people make fun of this in these days this new brand of religion that's coming along in baptist churches but i want to say it you can't outgive god I've given away my last dime time and time again before I get to the house. Somebody put it back in my hand. I, you can't outgive God. And I could give you illustration after illustration through the years. Put him to the test. Tithe. You say, preacher, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. Now, you know that as well as I. If you've been saved any amount of time, you can't afford not to tithe. I pastored a man many years ago. If I called his name, some of you would know him. 
He said, uh, he said to me one Sunday, he said, I need to talk to you. I want you to sit down. I need to talk to you. I preached on tithing out of Malachi 3, the whole message out of Malachi chapter number 3, storehouse tithing. Went back over in Leviticus where the tithe is to be of the first fruits. And this is what I said. I'd been asked. I'd been asked two or three times, what do we tithe on? We work at the factory. One man worked for Yellow Freight. He said, what do I tithe on? Do I tithe on the gross on my check or the net? And my question's always been, which one do you want to be blessed on? You want to be blessed on the gross or the net? Now, if you own a business, that operates a little different for you, doesn't it? I mean, you've got supplies, you've got overhead, you've got expenses that, that the average man that's working for you does not have. You have a lot of responsibility, and that comes out of that gross, right? And, uh, and that's, that's a whole other story. But we sat down, sat down in the middle of the section right over here in the first pasture. He said, I have never tithed off the first fruits and don't know that I've been faithful to tithe. But he said, I got under conviction that Sunday, and I started tithing. And he says, as a matter of fact, he said, it's hard for me to have any extra money. But he said, I structured my bills and the tithe or the offering last. He said, I put my bills and my bass boat and everything else first. He said, I made my mind up. I was going to scale back on a few things and honor God. He said, put him to the test, and I put him to the test. Priced his bass boat. Uh, put it almost at uh, market value, and it wasn't worth that. He said, I advertised it through some buddies of mine at the freight line. And, and he said, you know, said the guy that bought it didn't even try to talk me down. Said, he gave me too much, really. And matter of fact, I got a $100 bill out of the deal. That's back 1993. Can you say amen right there? And I told him, I said, Walter, I hope you sell something else, and I hope you sell that real soon. And we had a big laugh out of it. And uh, as a matter of fact, run upon him in the hospital here recently over in Oxford. Storehouse tithing. Now, let me tell you something that uh, storehouse tithing is not. Let me tell you, the tithe is not ours as a child of God. It's just not ours. God's going to get it if you don't give it. Now, how many of you believe that? Just nod your head. It won't fall off. Now, you know that to be so. Now, giving seems to be an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. But I say this. If you are mature in Christ, that's not an uncomfortable subject for you. You want to know what the Lord has to say. You heard about the preacher visiting the church member trying to cheer him up. And he asked him, he said, I, I guess you're over here. Are you over here? Or I heard you're over here resting up for a big fishing trip. And he said, to be quite honest with you, Pastor, God's getting my tithe. He said, I feel like that's why I'm over here. Now, you know what that means, don't you? God says, put him to the test. The tithe is not ours as a child of God. Isn't it amazing? You can go farther on 90% if you belong to God than you can 100%. Now, you've learned that. I've learned that. I've observed that. You've observed that. Isn't it amazing how God can take 90% of what you bring home? God can bring 90% of what you make and make that go farther than the 100% of your salary. Now, that's what he's saying here. And God takes a tenth, a, a dime out of every dollar that you, that you make. God, bring, God takes a dime, puts it in the, in the storehouse, and now that storehouse, all the needs of the local assembly and even worldwide evangelism, uh, all those needs are taking place. A tithe is not the giving to a need. Now, I don't want this to startle you, but it's the truth. I don't give my tithe to feed the hungry. There's a particular benefit, a particular organization we give to every month, Amanda and I give to every month, and it goes to feed the hungry. We don't give through the local church to give that. It has to do with the Jewish nation. And we've been doing that probably for three, four years now and are happy when we see that draft come out of our account every month. Uh, I, I don't give that. That doesn't come out of my tithe. Uh, tithe is not, uh, or tithe is not something given to another church. 
I was at Calvary Baptist Church a couple of weeks back on a Sunday. And I didn't give my tithe. I gave an offering. As a matter of fact, we took an offering for Brother Steve, Miss Barbara, on Wednesday night. I gave twice that week. I gave some money on Sunday morning. I gave some money to Brother Steve's offering on Wednesday night. My tithe came here. I'll be at Silver Chapel Baptist Church in Bakersville, North Carolina. My membership is here. My tithe will come with my wife uh, to our church next Sunday. So if I were preaching or I were singing, I I were singing away this morning in ministry, uh, I might not, uh, my wife might be with me. But now we would wait until we got back and bring our tithe into the storehouse. Our tithe is not, and your tithe is not, buying some item for the church and then calling that your tithe. We bring the tithe into the storehouse. If the church ever decides we want to buy, instead of a baby grand piano, we want to buy a grand piano and somebody buys it. Um, Don't count that as your tithe. That's not storehouse tithing. That's you bought a piano is what that is. Storehouse tithing is we bring it, we put it in the pile. We put it in the account. We put it in the general account. We bring it to the storehouse. And out of the storehouse, if the church decides we need a piano or we need to give to benevolence somehow, we as a church body or myself and the deacons, or perhaps the need will be brought to the church. And we as a church then will give out of the storehouse, out of the store. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. It doesn't change anything. If we believe the Bible, then we believe in storehouse tithing. Now, the tithe, no matter what the amount of your tithe, if you give a large amount, uh, it doesn't give you any more say-so in the church. Now, y'all listening, aren't you? Y'all, I, I don't know if I'm putting you to sleep this morning or not. But you know that it doesn't give you any more say-so. It doesn't give you any grounds to stand and be louder in this church. When we put our monies in the offering plate, some of it goes in check form, right? And Brother Jay is good to keep all that to himself. I don't know who gives what. I believe the, 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 the greatest way to approach that as a pastor is not know who gives what on a regular basis. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. As a matter of fact, I don't want that influencing if you and I have a disagreement or you and I are talking something that gets pretty nitty-gritty. You know what I'm saying? I don't want what you give to have any bearing upon me. I don't want to get in the pulpit knowing who gives what. If the widow lady gives her two mites and somebody gives 2000 on a regular basis, when it goes into the offering, it loses its identity. When it gets to the account, again, we are many members. We make up one body. We as a whole, God takes, he blesses, he gives to us what he gives. We, with joy, are pleased to give back to him. We put it in one account, and as a body, we function. Can I get an amen right there? We are many members, members of one body, All that money goes into one account, and we function as a body. We don't function as individuals. As a matter of fact, I don't get on a tangent. As a matter of fact, I've done everything I know to do and going to implement more. But I've done everything I know to do the last five years of ministry here to implement some accountability. Accountability don't hurt me. It doesn't hurt you. If I'm honest in what I'm doing, you'll be able to ask me anything. If you're honest in what you're doing, uh, I ought to be able to ask you anything, right? Can I get a witness right there? Accountability doesn't hurt me one iota. It doesn't hurt you, and it doesn't hurt me. Checks and balances are good. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. It's right there. I'm not a lone ranger, nor do I want to be. I've written three checks. My name's been on checking account around here for 11 and a half years almost. I've written three checks. You know why I wrote them? I, I wrote them because Jay, Jay was out of pocket. There was one time... When there was work being done around here in the remodel, Jay, Jeff, and Chris, which have they all have check-writing abilities, they weren't here, 
And there was a man involved in construction that did some work, needed his money. And so I wrote, but I don't want to write a check. And Jay heard me say this. Am I right, Brother Jay? I've said this all along. I don't want to handle the money. As a matter of fact, there are two things that get a preacher in trouble quicker than anything else, and money's one of them. And I've put measures in place in both of those areas of my life. But I don't want to handle the money. I'd rather somebody else handle the money. And by the way, let me say this. The man that we've got in charge of doing that is a man of integrity and honesty. If he tells you something on Monday, it'll be that way when you ask him again on Friday. About his personal life, about the banking of our church. He puts spreadsheets out at the end of the month, both on the missions account and the general account. If you want to know where our monies go, they are accounted for and they are accounted for very well. And I appreciate the job that he is doing. But when we give, if you give a larger amount, that doesn't give you any more say-so than it does a widow lady that has very little. And her tithe doesn't, doesn't really seem to make a difference. It makes a difference in God's economy because God takes all of our monies and pools them together and puts them together to accomplish his work. Let me say this. A tithe is not to be designated. We give our tithe to the storehouse. We bring our tithe to the storehouse. We don't withhold it from the church. We give it through the church, and it gets where we can't support the church. We find the church we can't support. Does that make any sense to you? I've seen people get disgruntled with churches through the years. As a matter of fact, I've been asked about it, and I gave what I believe the, the Scriptures teach on the matter. But somebody would say, well, I'll tell you what, we want to take a trip, or we want the youth to have it. Or, so we just designate it. And I'll tell you what you're doing. You're cheating yourself, and you're cheating your church. Uh, God work all that out. You bring it into the storehouse. The principle of the tithe is it's an act of obedience, and it's an act of faith. We do what we do because God told us to do it. Now, consider the tithe, the portion of it. Consider it, if you will, the portion of the tithe. Tithe means tenth, tenth of the increase. We won't take the time to go back over into the book of Leviticus, but the purpose for the tithe. Why? Why did God establish that? Why did Abraham, in the book of Genesis, in, in his days, the days of the patriarchs, why did Abraham tithe after the order of Melchizedek? Why did he pay tithes unto Melchizedek? Why is the tithe brought over? into tabernacle and temple worship and was even used and implemented in the synagogue. Why do we use it today? Uh, the tithe, of course, being 10%, we bring it, we put it in the offering plate, and, of course, it takes care of the ministry of the church. Right here in verse number 10, if you're still in Malachi 3, look at what he says. This literally means what it says. When he says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, that literally means what it says. Do you know the priests were to live off part of those tithes and, and part of that money would be reached into and so those priests could, would be free to do what God had set them aside to do. There would be meat. There'd be food. Uh, there'd be food that would be bought to take care of those men. And I'll leave that right there where it is. But the ministry of the church and even the maintenance of this church and any other church comes out of a general account, a, a, a church account. It comes out of the storehouse tithing and giving of God's people. Now, I want you to look at verse number 10 again. There's a promise connected to the tithe. I've been all over it this morning. Uh, Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. Put me to the test, he says. Put me to the test. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there not, shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I'm telling you, we could, 
I'm going to bring this to a close in just a moment. We'll pick this up when I'm back two weeks and deal with an offering. But I want you to let the tithe settle in on you this morning. How many of us can testify to that 90% slash 10% business? And we've learned it, haven't we? Some have learned it the hard way. I've heard people stand in testimony services and testify about it. I've preached on giving for 30 some odd years. And, and it never fails. Somebody will say, you know, thank you for the reminder. Or I didn't know that particular. Something along that line. I want to be a faithful giver. And I want to tithe. I want to tithe. You say, preacher, I'm like your friend back from years ago. I got my bills and I decided I won't start giving. I hadn't been tithed and I won't fix that. You'll pray about it. God will make a way. God will help you with that. But you've got to put him first. You put him first. Isn't that what gets us in trouble and causes us to worry about material things in this life? Isn't that what he said in Matthew chapter number 6? He said, you worried about all these things. He said, these things. That was his subject and part of what he said about worry, rebuking worry. Five times he rebuked it. How many of you by taking thought, how many by worrying can add a stature, a cubit unto your stature? You can't do that. By worrying, usually worry uh, uh, makes things a little worse, doesn't it? And, uh, and he, said, uh, he said you're not supposed to worry. And uh, anyways, I was going to say something really good and I forgot what I was going to say. Isn't that something? And uh, a great mind, matter of fact, those three things I added when I got up and made announcements while you were finding Malachi and Second Corinthians, the, thing, the fourth thing I just withheld it was I, I meant to tell you all, you all have a great pastor and great preacher, and I forgot to tell you that too. And I'm just, I'm just uh, picking, of course. But I was going to say something about this tithe and proving the proving of God. Maybe, it'll, maybe it'll, my memory will be jarred here in just a moment. But I'm, I'm going to bring it to a close in just a little bit. But uh, Lord help. What was it I was going to say? Malachi 3.10. Look at it again, if you will. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Part of our problem is we're so connected to this world and these material things. Here's what I was going to say. Jesus said, if you'll quit chasing things and you'll chase God, the things will go to catching up with you. He said, seek you first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all these things you're worried about will be added unto you. He said, you chase me, and I'll have the things chase you that need to find you. And isn't that, isn't that the way it works in life? As a child of God, put him first. Put him first in your giving. I remember, you've heard me. As a matter of fact, recently I, I used my old buddy, Ronnie Johnson, uh, he was song leader up at, uh, now I talk about all y'all when I'm out in meetings. I ain't going to talk about you here in front of you. get the big head. But I do. I mention a number of you from time to time. Uh, I've mentioned Brother Ronnie Owen, God bringing him around, Miss Shandon, the children, grandchildren. Hadn't they been a blessing to our, our church? Been a blessing to my life for a lot of years. I used this as an illustration last year and have for a lot of years now. Ronnie, Ronnie's a good friend. When I'm up around the Boonville area, which is not much, preaching out anymore. Not usually up in that area, the Wheeler or Jumpertown area much. But if I'm up that way or Corinth direction, Ronnie will come a night or two. 
But after Ronnie was saved, Brother Danny Sparks was at Thrasher back in the 80s and the early 90s. Brother Danny died. Matter of fact, Joanne Cutberth, I'll never forget her saying, I was preaching on death and the child of God. And she come out, she said, I'm going to tell you something about Brother Danny. She said, you referred to him. She said, Brother Danny taught us to live with dignity and die with dignity. Said, Brother Danny, coming out of the Sunday school hall, around the Sunday school desk back the back, they had him in a wheelchair. He starved to death, basically. That's what cancer did to him. When cancer got a hold to him the second time, a number of them testified. Said, Brother Danny, said he liked to die. Some of the men trying to get him up in his wheelchair in the pulpit on the platform said he nearly died. But uh, Brother Ronnie, he said right after he was saved, Brother Danny won him to the Lord. He said right after I was saved, Brother Danny preached on tithing. And he said, I didn't know what tithing was. And he said, I told Sandy, Sandy, I don't know how we're going to do it. We're barely making the ends meet. I don't know how we're going to do it, Sandy. But it is in the Bible. He showed it to us. And we're tithing. We're going to do what's right. We're going to trust God to help us make ends meet. And he said they did. Said that's the first thing they did. At the end of the week, they made their tithe check out. And we're glad to put it in. He said, in some weeks when I get ready to go to Marathon Cheese in that old truck, he said, some weeks I wonder, now how in the world am I going to have gas to make it from Thrasher to Boom? Well, that's not far. But he said, preacher, I'd be on empty. Sandy was secretary there for Thrasher School. But he said, you know, he said, I can tell you of account after account where Sandy would be getting the wash ready and she'd go through my blue jeans and five and five dollars. Or she'd look in the bottom of her purse and there'd be a ten. Or, or we'd go to shuffling through a bedroom drawer or a kitchen drawer and there'd be a twenty dollar bill. And he said, preacher, and Ronnie's got a tender heart. He's about like Warren when he's up before us this morning. Ronnie's got a tender heart about the things of God. He wept, bottom lip doing that. And he said, Brother Kevin, he said, we always had enough. If you were to talk to him about tithing, he'd tell you, you better not try it. better not try not to. You better do what you ought to be doing. Christianity 101 teaches us you can live off 90%. It'll go a whole lot farther than the 100. Listen to what Jesus said, and I'm going to close. We'll pick this up in two weeks. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse number 38. Give, and it shall be given you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give in your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Did you know that's a promise? That is a promise. I was, um, I was sitting in... Um, Auburn, Georgia, Trinity Baptist Church, when I, I'd left Calvary up in Taylorsville and uh, on Thursday and drove down to check in the hotel. A number of us were in that meeting in Georgia. And two families had given me, had put a $100 bill each in my hand in the meeting. And my wallet, I have a money clip on the side of my wallet. I folded it. I told Amanda, I said, I don't feel like that's ours. And she has never had a problem with it. I, th I think if we were to go live in a mud hut in the Amazon, I think she'd say, I don't know how we'll make it, but okay, let's go. But I told her, I said, I don't think that's ours. And so I folded it and put it under the clip 
I got down to Chattanooga and was sitting in the Thursday night service. Preacher that was sitting right in front of me. Matter of fact, he was sitting up in front of me. Pulled himself back to the pew right in front of me. I was sitting back with Clay Owen, he said. And if I called this preacher's name, you would know him. And I told Amanda that night, I waited and, uh, until the, the next evening before I give it to him. And, but I told Amanda that evening when we got back to the hotel, I said, now, Amanda, that money, those $200 bills, those are not ours. And she said, that's all right with me. I called the preacher's name. I said, now, that belongs to him. And she said, I'm good with that. Give it to him. And, of course, I didn't care what she said. Bless God, I'm going to give it to him. But her attitude toward giving, hers and ours mirror each other, always has. God's given to us and given to us and given to us. And so before the evening service on Friday evening, I walked up to him and he reached his hand. I had the money and passed it off to him. He said, no, brother, no. And if I called his name, you would understand knowing him. And I said, brother, that's not mine. That's yours. You know how God works. He said, okay, preacher. It went to help meet a need that he and his wife had. And God has done that in my life. And I'll give you some of that when we preach in the next, uh, next couple of weeks. Would you stand with us?